Hello and welcome back to the Digital Economics Podcast. I have today Josh Nielsen here, who's actually like the founder of the software we're using to record this podcast. Uh, it's called Zencaster. It's like one of the best softwares I, I was using like within this year. And I, I'm really proud that you joined this podcast. And I'm actually like to save us from transparency reasons investor with, I don't know, like 100 euros because you were using crowdsourcing, uh, crowdfunding to uh, like take the next uh, step. How, how did it come with the crowdsourcing thing? Well, first off, thank you for your investment. <laughs> Very much appreciated. Um, how did we come to the point of kind of deciding to do the crowdfund? Is that the question? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, I think we have always tried to be very much kind of part of the grassroots podcasting community. We were, you know, helping podcasters before the space really blew up. And um, the idea of having our own creators be also owners of the uh, of the company and have a really vested interest in it, as well as, you know, just having a much a stronger connection with them. You know, we get a lot more uh, people giving really good feedback, a lot more people more w willing to promote and um, just help us grow the, grow the company together. And it's just a great feeling. Podcasters are very social. There's, it's a great community. And we wanted to just really lean into that. And doing the crowdfund has been an awesome way to do that and to be able to give back to the people that have helped us build this in the first place. Like we wouldn't be here without the podcasters. We're very thankful for, um, you know, from the first time we started charging to growing the business uh, all the way through funding. Um, you know, we, we recognize that the podcasters have made that possible all along the way. Why not let them have a slice of the pie and uh, grow this together? And it went really well, right? Uh, like, I, I mean, most crowd, crowdfunding, crowdsourcing campaigns are like, I don't know, like a thousand euros and you raised like 595,000 euros with uh, one, uh, over 1,000 investors. So it was a good plan after all, <laughs> I guess. Yeah, no, it worked out well. We're really happy with it. I mean, I think we had one of the more successful kind of out of the gate as far as like you know um funds raised quickly coming uh after the launch of the campaign and you know well, one of the things that we'd like to do you know we always have to kind of play it by ear as far as this goes but anytime we do raise money in the future um probably reserve a piece of that to open it up to our community again so that there's always opportunities uh, in the future for um, those who wanted to double down or for one who missed it the first time to be involved because we've just found that as, as much as we appreciate the podcasters, um, they've also gotten a lot of value from what we're building and they believe strongly in the future of what we're building. And so, yeah, we love to work together on it. But but do, do you also think about like getting typical investors at some point, like like normal VC? Uh, yeah, we have. I think at the end of 2020, um, we we raised a four and a half million dollar round to basically expand from just being a recording tool to building out all the stuff we have now today, which is, uh, um, you know, host hosting, just distribution tools, helping people host the content, uh, growth tools, grow your audience, and as well as now monetization. Uh, you know, making it so that if a podcaster of any size can have good monetization options. Uh, through Zencaster as we help them grow. And for people in your audience that may not have context for Zencaster, who we are, we obviously help people record podcasts. Um, our, our initial entry point into the market was uh, people were using Skype back then. This is like eight, 
oh, nine shit. years ago oh, no. <laughs> to record their podcasts. And if you went on Twitter, you would see all these people saying like flaming the, the podcast host. They're like, I can't listen to this. It's got like dropouts. It's distorted. You sound like robotic and you know, cause the internet could not be great. It, you know, if you record a Skype or a zoom call. And so we solved that initial problem. We were the first to market on what, you know, doing double ended recordings really easily. Just send a link to whoever you want to record with records you in studio quality on both sides, mix it together in the cloud after the fact. And then now we help you with all of the rest of the pieces, getting it distributed, as I mentioned, growing and monetizing as well. But but take a, uh, take us to the start. So you were scrolling on Twitter and were like, okay, I'm going to solve this. Or were you doing your own podcast? Or where, where was like the point where you decided to start this company? How much time do we have? <laughs> <laughs> Probably an hour or something. <laughs> okay, so we're not too strapped for time. I'll give you the medium length version. Um, so I've... Uh, you know, I, I started my career as a, a programmer. I was really interested in um, just building stuff with code. Um, I didn't really have ambitions to necessarily start a company. I just really loved building things. It's kind of like virtual Legos, you know, and I found that I could do that for like 12 hours a day and still want to do more. And it's like, I, I should figure out how to make this my career. And um, but then I got kind of my first job, um, which I ended up dropping out of college to take was a, a startup company, uh, based out of California. It was a company called Mahalo. It was run by Jason Calacanis. who's a, a pretty influential, um, a, a, a seed stage investor at the moment. And he's, and he had a podcast, uh, called this weekend startups. And so I was working there. Um, he was have, he had, he turned the boardroom into like a podcast studio and was doing, um, you know, having guys like Elon Musk come through and be on the show. And so I've early on got caught the startup bug and as well saw kind of the power of podcasting. Um, he still has that show. I think it's still one of the top kind of tech uh, entrepreneurship shows out there. Um, and so I, anyway, I caught the bug, um, wanted to, I just realized like, Hey, with this tool set of being able to code and build things, I somewhat naively thought, okay, now I can, this is why I need to build a business. Um, which is a lot more to it. Um, and, you know, I don't know if I would have made that choice so early on if I had realized how tough it, tough it really <laughs> is. But um, I wanted to, you know, get more, I wanted, you know, I, I, I wanted to build my own thing as opposed to building someone else's. I knew I wasn't quite ready yet. LA, um, Santa Monica, LA was too kind of big of a place for me. I didn't grow up in a, such a big city like that. And so I wanted to find another place to go. So I moved to Boulder, Colorado. Because I heard Techstars, uh, the accelerator was there. And this was kind of in their first, I don't know, I think it was like maybe their third year or something like that. So I went and banged on their door to let me, I, I applied with a bunch of companies. They were more like little project apps that I built with no traction. And they're like, yeah, no, like you're, we're not going to give you any money. But like, oh, no. <laughs> you know how to build stuff. Why don't you come help? help build, um, co help, help, help our companies get their products ready for their demo days. And so they hired me, uh, as basically a developer in residence to help them get their companies, push their products across the line. And, uh, after that, uh, you know, that's a summer program after that, I was like, okay, let's start our own thing. I started a project with a couple of friends of mine who actually came from Mahalo, joined me in Boulder, Colorado. One of them was in the Techstars program as well. Um, uh, and they, and we built a, you know, we were musicians. Uh, I like to play guitar. One of them was a drummer. The other one was, uh, 
he's actually a singer, but he, he like knew music theory and all that. And so he said, Hey, like, let's, you know, back in the day, it was like, you know, find what your passion is and build around it. Uh, don't do that. If your passion is music, like it's, <laughs> it's, there's way too many people whose passion is music. And so, and there's just a graveyard of companies out there that have tried to build music based startups. Uh, and so, but we, we, we went down that road and learned that lesson. Um, it was basically trying to build a GitHub for music, um, where you could help electronic musicians collaborate, create, not just electronic, but that was kind of our focus, um, create, uh, con create, you know, work together online remotely to create music, remix each other. Um, and so, so kind of open source stuff so that you're like having licenses and being like, okay, everyone can take this thing. That was the original idea because we were programmers who were musicians who liked the idea of open source software, which is like a very narrow niche, really. Most musicians do not like that idea. And that's one of the things we learned is like ah. once we built it, um, we're like, yeah, and you can put your stuff up there and then people can remix it. And everyone was like, whoa, I don't. I don't want somebody taking my, like that. That's my hit. That could be my big break. And ah, oh, come uh, on. So it's we learned so well in tech. I I really love this developer thing of like, yeah, you, you can have my code. Like actually, ChatGPT wrote it. Like just take it. <laughs> yeah, yeah that, that was where we were coming from. But we found that that fell pretty flat with most musicians. Um, but yeah, we were trying to make a, a big repository of, of license-free content that you could use to remix or sample if you're a you know breakbeat artist or that sort of a thing. Um, but as we were building that, the browsers just coincidentally, uh, you know, I think Chrome was sort of leading the way on this, started launching um, stuff for audio, like the web audio API, and like I think what they call it, like HTML5 audio elements and that sort of stuff. Mm -hmm. And I was like, wow, you know, this makes it so that we wouldn't just have, because, you know, we had a trouble just because you could upload stem tracks. And at that time, it was really tricky to even figure out how to get them to all play in sync because the audio tooling in the browser was really difficult. As we were building this, suddenly they started launching ways to do things like, you know, run it through compression nodes and split the channel. You know, you, you basically just give you a bunch of, Uh, tools to actually manipulate and save and route audio in the browser and uh, you know the wheels were turning for me i was like wow you could build a an ableton live type competitor right into the browser that has collaboration built into it and um so you know anyway we ran out of time and effort and money um we all kind of had to go our separate ways and get our own jobs um But that those browsers kept progressing on that on that tooling. I went on my own and started trying to actually build. I still have a project somewhere of an Ableton Live clone in the browser, which is pretty ambitious. But yeah, I was, yeah, yeah. I was young Ableton and is crazy. Yeah, I was young and dumb and uh, <laughs> didn't have a family and had all nothing but time, uh, and so started working on that. Mm. Then, like you know, on the personal side of my life. I had met a girl. I'd, I'd lived in Hawaii. I met her there, and then I'd moved to LA for the startup. And then um, she lived in Australia. I followed her there. Um, found out that I had a baby on the way, and <laughs> um, I was like, "Okay, I need to find a quicker path to revenue than whatever this big pie in the sky dream is of building this DAW in the browser." And so I had heard. I remembered at one point in time. When I was applying to Techstars, we went to this Techstars for a day uh, in San Antonio. 
And someone said to me, I don't know about music, but podcasters have this problem with their audio. You might be able to help with that. And, you know, I'd always been listened to podcasts, been interested in podcasts. I actually got my startup job by calling into uh, Jason's show live on his podcast. And so I was like, okay, I did some research there and um, found that sure enough, all these podcasters were using Skype to record. The audio quality was pretty terrible. And usually what it would be is the host would sound great because they were recorded locally, but the guests would be recorded remotely. And they so there's this really big difference in the quality between the speakers. And that just really messes with people's brains and it causes ear fatigue and all that. And so um, I was like, you know, with these stuff I've been learning about how to deal with audio with that past project and, you know, we could actually do something where you just send a link to whoever you want to record with. We record everybody locally on their end, mix it together afterwards, and then you've solved that problem so that even if you've got a bad network connection and the live call is that poor quality, the, the output in the end will actually sound, uh, you know, as long as you've got good microphones and stuff, it'll be studio quality. Um, I was like, oh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to build a, I could build a prototype of that in about six weeks and you know, Oh shit. Okay. <laughs> six months What's later. Realistic. Yeah. Okay. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm always, I've always been a little bit overly optimistic on that side. So six months later I had, you know, something that sort of worked, you know, and I launched it as an open beta and, you know, to my surprise and, uh, satisfaction, you know, people started using it right away. Um, there were definitely some bumps in the road because it really was barely even possible given the tools and the browsers to actually do it right at that time. Um, and that's sort of how we became the first mover in the market. It was kind of, when I started working on it, it really wasn't even possible. I just didn't know. And the tooling progressed enough as I was building it to actually make it work. So launched that um, hit you know, product market fit out of the gate, really, which is pretty rare. Um, yeah, which is incredible. Like, like most products, like take. Uh, I, I today saw like a picture of how long it took the most companies to reach product market fit, and most companies took like a few years to like have a really good product market fit. Yeah, and But well, that said, I didn't charge for it though. I was still, I was working. What I did is, I I didn't raise any money. No one would give. I, I couldn't like I tried a couple I tried to have a few conversations and kind of got laughed out of the room and uh, I was just like okay screw that like I'm just gonna bootstrap this thing and um, yeah so what I did is I just found uh, I just was working as a consultant for different agencies and sometimes different companies and I would just you know I would work like you know four to six hours a day for them. And then I would have the remainder of that time to work on what I was doing. That definitely made it slower because I was, you know, switching between, I wasn't full time on it, but it also meant that I had an infinite runway. I wasn't going to run out of money as I was trying to build it, uh, which was the problem that we had before. So um, did that and just kept building it. You know, I was, it was just one person and you know, I was doing, uh, doing the code. I was handling any customer support um, any of the marketing, which really was just word of mouth because you, you have to use it together with someone else really, or it defeats the purpose of the app. So people come on, they have, you know, they also want to do a podcast. They see how easy it is and start going. Um, you know, we got our first hundred users or so by just going on Twitter and searching for like, uh, 
turn like because people would people would write the host of a podcast and be like hey i can't even listen to this it's terrible and then they'd be like hey guys sorry skype fucked up my podcast it's not my fault i'm gonna so i so i had all these twitter save searches on twitter which was like skype ex, expletive podcast nah. and, and um and that that's how i would find the the first hundred users and i just messaged them directly I said, "Hey, uh, we solved this problem. I, I can see that you're having some pain here with your like audience. a private message or under the tweet and like commenting the tweet and being like because I wonder how did you launch a product in this time because nowadays I would say you have product hunt, you have all these different platforms where you can launch a product. I think these days it was pretty hard to launch a product. Yeah, I, guess. I don't think I don't think product hunt existed back then. I could be wrong about that, but we I didn't use it." It was, yeah, I just got on Twitter. I'd either, either DM him or I would at mention or I would just reply to the post where they're apologizing to their audience and say, hey, try it. We fixed it. And um, it because back then there wasn't anything else like it, there was, there was sort of some uh, kind of grassroots excitement around it. And people were, you know, herald, you know, saying nice things about us, sharing it. We've always had a free plan, and back then on the free plan, just said it's free, but you know, please tell your friends and do social posts about it. like give give us some give us some uh, uh, some marketing juice, and so that's how we got it off the ground. You know, actually, now that I think about it, Product Hunt did exist because we got I, I'm totally forgot about this, but we got from about zero to 100 to just reached out on Twitter, and then I think someone did Product Hunt it. And oh, okay, for okay. like, I didn't do it, but somebody did. And I think that took us from like a hundred to a thousand first thousand users. And then <laughs> from there, it just kind of grew organically. Um, so I, as I mentioned, I had this baby on the way. I, I was in Australia at the time when I was starting this. Then we moved to New Zealand because my wife is from there and she wanted to be with her family for, for the birth and all that, which makes sense. And um, so had a really great kind of, you know, I don't know, I think we were there for like 18 months leading up to the birth and then the first year of my child's life. And I was just living in my in-laws, um, uh, garage base. They have like a, <laughs> a they have like a, a room on the side of the garage and that was where we stayed. And it was just a nice, cozy, great place to like, not to focus. Like aside from family, I didn't have any friends there and I could just like really focus on the business. And then, um, we, wanted to you know get out on our own and i also wanted to launch the business uh, as a actual business because it was still just an app that i was paying for and nobody was paying me because i didn't know yet now that i look back i should have done it a lot sooner and could have but um i was you know nervous so why didn't you do it you know, I think the normal things like afraid that people won't pay, imposter syndrome, wondering if it's good enough yet. Um, you know, it was still early days on the tooling in the browsers and they were changing the APIs a lot. And sometimes that would cause breaks. And, you know, oh, okay, okay. and so okay. it was it, it wasn't as stable as I wanted it to be at that time. But I knew that I had to like figure out how to just get over that hump. And so we decided to move to Thailand, um, just found a nice place that was, you know, uh, affordable uh, where my family could kind of have fun and hang out and I could focus. And so I just... Where did you live in, in Thailand? Uh, so first we tried to go, because my wife had traveled there before and she really liked Koh Samui, if you've been. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and, I have been too. 
we went there. I felt like that was even a little bit more. It was in the middle of some big heat wave, and it was a little bit, you know, it's very touristy and a little bit overpopulated. So we moved around a couple times. One just to find a place that was decently air conditioned because it's really hard to like focus on code when there's sweat running down your back. And uh-huh. then, um, uh, so we ended up going to Copenhagen, which is where the like full the full moon parties are. Yeah, yeah. And, I, I I stayed for for I I think a month or two. <laughs> so okay, so you know, really yeah. like the island. <laughs> yeah, it's lovely. I mean, it has those parties, but it's only like once or twice a month, and the rest of the time it's actually almost like ghost town in a way. And we found a nice little villa there and um, just the goal was I'm here to launch this as a business. Um, I decided at that point to stop working for other companies and just like went on and I applied for like five different credit cards at once. So they like wouldn't see each other before they approved me. (laughs) And I got like, I don't know, 60 or $70,000 worth of credit and then just lived on that for I was like, I'm gonna, you know, I'm gonna put a forcing function on this. I've got a, I've got seventy thousand dollars before I've got to get this launched. <laughs> oh, shit. Um, and so, um, yeah, and spent there. I think after about six or eight months in Thailand, was finally able to launch the paid plans. Um, and it was really just we still had, we still had, and still maintain the the pretty liberal free plans. But the paid plans was, I think it was instead of just doing MP3 recordings, you could do wave recordings, and um, I think there was a, a a fencing feature on like how many participants that you could have on the call, and which we actually didn't enforce at the time, but we just put it in the pricing because it was gonna be hard to figure out how to do that. And uh, launched it, and I think this was like November of twenty. I'm bad with dates. Twenty sixteen, I want to say, and um, maybe twenty sixteen or twenty seventeen. Again, uh, don't quote me on that but uh it, you know i think in the first month um the the mrr went from zero to like 15k a month like maybe it was like 18k in the oh, first shit. month oh, shit. i was like wow it worked <laughs> <Nice>. <laughs> like, finally, i can pay off the credit cards hopefully <laughs> at some point um so that was a pretty exciting moment and um yeah we you know we stayed there for you know i think another six months before moving back home or back to where my parents live, which is where I am now in Salt Lake city. Um, cause my, my parents were getting old and I wanted to be able to spend some time with them. Uh, uh, but yeah, so that was sort of the me- medium side of <laughs> long story about how it got started. It, it, tell me more about this Thailand part, because I, I really wondered when I was staying there. Um, I think it's the perfect place actually to build a startup because you have so low, like living expenses i i mean like uh patrick and i uh who were traveling together we rented a house for five euros a day uh, or five dollars a day um it's kind of the same um and and we had like uh, a scooter uh which was like one euro a day i think and then we had like really really amazing food for maybe like two or three euros um per, per person and so we were like living l- Definitely under 10 euros per day, so 300 euros a month. And I think if you have everything like which you need, 
under 10 euros per day, under like 300 euros per month. Maybe today it's different. I'm not sure like with inflation and stuff, but when we were there, it was like really, really cheap. And you had like all these time consuming things like done for you. So like it was cheap to get some food. Um, it was cheap to get like your laundry done. So you really, I, I think you really have a chance to do something full-time, but really full-time, like with not worrying about too many other things. But at the other side, I wonder like if you live in paradise, do you really work <laughs> or isn't it dangerous? But like, yeah, you want to go to the beach all the time. Yeah, I mean, um, I agree with you. And that was part of the idea um, was let's live somewhere that's affordable where I can focus. And I didn't actually know a lot of those fringe benefits, like you mentioned, you know, the food is a big part. Like uh, on Copenhagen, I don't think there are any fast food restaurants, but there's all of these markets where you go and you can get like, uh, 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 losing my words now for what the names of the meals were, but you get, you know, you get stir fries, healthy food, uh, uh, really healthy food. And, um, I think I lost like 15 or 20 pounds there just because I wasn't eating like cheeseburgers anymore. Yeah, yeah. And, <laughs> um, but it's easy. Like that's already made. You just show up, they give you a plate, you walk, break, take it home. And it was great for like my wife and uh child because you know, they had stuff to do. They go to the beach, they go swimming. Um, and there's, there's always kind of fun stuff to do in Thailand. And, uh, me, because, the business had actually gotten, even before I was charging, it had gotten big enough that I, I was, I had customer support requests all the time I had to deal with. And I have, I felt I had a lot of pressure to like figure out how to get it charged, how to get it being, uh, how to start charging for it. So I was pretty focused. I just kind of hung out. I didn't do a lot of the fun stuff. I just was sitting at my desk most of the day and, um, which was like, we, we had, even though it was like, we had our bed in this room, our, we had, there was a closet which we turned into the nursery where we had a crib for the child and then my desk was on the side and so I just spent you know, you know the whole time in there and um, you know we had laundry outsourced so we didn't have to deal with that I don't even think we had a laundry machine and um, so yeah it was a great place to just like get rid of and I didn't know anybody there I wasn't there to party or anything and so uh, I didn't have like birthday I didn't have a lot of engagements that I had to attend I was just could really focus and so yeah ended up being great and it was it's a lovely place and um I still remember just people in Thailand really love children like they're very uh, and when you come there with a baby like everybody kind of circles are at like people are that I really want to help and like if you go to a restaurant they'll take your child and watch it while you eat and like um so yeah, to your point, it's a great place to just like put a lot of the normal day-to-day -day worries aside, live pretty affordably, and then um, be able to focus on something. Um, you know, there's uh, so yeah, no, I can't complain at all. And um, eventually, we it was time to leave, but I always, you know, think fondly of those days. And one of these days, I'll I'll go back. Yeah, man, I I, I really love this idea. Like like I. I... The idea of having like a small, cute family <laughs> and being like able to work like really long working hours, uh, like because you don't have to worry about this annoying, stupid stuff. Like I, I really hate going to the supermarket. I hate doing the laundry. I hate like all these circumstances like a normal life brings. Like I, I think three hours a day are just like doing like normal 
stuff to be able <laughs> to survive. Um, but I, 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 I don't know. I really like the idea to only do this one thing of building the company to really have a focus and, and yeah, also the setup, like, like with, with a wife and, uh, and a little child and <laughs> this cute house in Thailand. I, I, maybe I'm romanticizing it, but yeah, in, in my it really head, was, it was, it was, it was a lovely experience. And, you know, I would take like an hour a day to go swim with the family. And then the oh, rest nice. of the time I was, you know, uh, nice. just working and, um, it was, it was great from that, just the family experience side of things. And then also, um, being able to launch the company, actually focus to get it launched and then see the, you know, the, the luck and success of it actually working. Um, and then, you know, figuring out then, then was kind of, I would say the hard part is how do you scale this thing up? How do you continue to meet user needs? Competition always comes into the play, it comes in after, uh, after a while when you, when you land on something. And, um, so yeah. I wonder about one thing, like you're saying you're really optimistic and I, I mean, <laughs> you can see in your life story that you're a really optimistic person, but like if you had these kind of loans from the credit card, uh, weren't you like one uh, worrying like hell? Uh, because I, I, I had in the last year some really tough times financially and I know that I am like, it's really not a good thing for my mental health to worry about money. Wasn't this like a really huge pressure on your shoulders in this time? Yeah, I mean, there was some worries there, but honestly, I was more, I, I, I think I'd already validated that there was a business there. I would not, I don't recommend taking out a bunch of credit cards before you've got product market fit and before you can really validate it. Um, but I felt like the time was there. And what I was more worried about was um going so long without being able to charge and, you know, other competitors were coming into the space. Uh, and I was a one man team. I didn't have any resources outside of, you know, what we discussed. And, uh, I was more worried about time than money really at that point. Um, it was a gamble, but it luckily it paid off and, <laughs> it uh, but yeah, I mean, that, that, that's, you know, financing and all that stuff is, is definitely a very stressful part of companies <laughs> and, you know, what's at that, at the time you would call it a lifestyle business since we've raised money, you know, now we're kind of gone into the high growth startup phase, but, um, yeah, I think, you know, at that time, I wish I could remember well enough where we were actually at, but you know, there were people, there was, I think, you know, hundreds of recordings happening a day. You know, there was maybe a few thousand active users. There was enough there for me to say like, okay, this is a, calculated risk that I'm taking, um, with, with kind of going down. Cause these were like, it wasn't like a, a, a mortgage loan or something like that. These were high interest rate credit cards of like 2018, 25%, something like that. So I could have been in a really bad spot if it hadn't worked out. Um, but I guess I'm, I have somewhat of a higher risk tolerance than Maybe maybe average. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, but but I really like this, like like having this confidence. And I I I think you need to take a risk sometimes because not not only because it's needed, also because it makes life fun. I I, I think life would be so boring without any risk at all. <laughs> at some yeah. point. Yeah. Yeah. No. I, and I I'm glad, but again, I don't don't take don't 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 <laughs> take out a bunch of cards and then call me. <laughs> 
Uh, another thing I ask myself, um, because you started bootstrapped um, and built it yourself and didn't like got the investor in the first place, isn't this or was this like a big advantage like nowadays? Because like the investors went in like later uh, in, in the phase of building? Yeah, I think, you know, the, the advantage that I got from bootstrapping it originally was um, you know, if I had tried to raise money at the beginning, I'd, I couldn't have anyway, but if someone had given me money, I wouldn't, it would, it probably would have the way, at least the way I did it, you know, who, who knows, it could have all been different, but you know, I would have ran out of money before I think I got to, I would have very high to higher, very high risk of running out of money before I would have actually gotten to monetize it. And, you know, when you raise money, then you hire a bunch of people and then you have to have that much more revenue to support it all. And in this way, you know, when we first launched in the, the paid plans, I only needed to make enough money to support myself and start paying down some credit card debt. And so that 15 or 18K that first month was more than enough to kind of keep us afloat, give us, give the company a future. And again, we weren't on any like hard time constraints to figure it all out. That has a downside of we weren't, I wasn't moving fast as fast as like, other companies, but it wasn't, you know, I'm trying to remember exactly when all this happened, but, you know, around the time that I was launching this in Thailand, that's when like this American life and serial started getting like a million downloads per episode. And then that's when, you know, Spotify, Google, Facebook, everybody started saying, oh, we've got new podcasting initiatives. And then like, I think Spotify earmarked like a billion dollars to spend in the space. And that's when I was like, okay, wow, this is, you know, I've, there's a very real danger of getting just pushed into the margins by much more well-funded, bigger players in the space. Um, and that's what eventually led to us, you know, deciding to shift gears and raise money to to be able to kind of grow, execute and grow at a pace that can can keep up with uh, other funded businesses. And so I it would have been great if that wasn't, you know, if, if I, I would I would have been happy to, I think, continue to bootstrap it if I didn't feel like there was sort of a binary choice here. I could either continue as I was, but the, the, the business was just going to, you know, probably decrease from that point or jump in wholeheartedly and decide, Hey, you know, we've, you know, we're, we're riding on the front of this wave. Let's uh, let's stay there and not let, let not get consumed by all these other players. Yeah. And I mean, great support, great marketing, great, like uh, building features, uh, keeping something reliable, et cetera, needs people sometimes. Yeah, certainly. So, probably. And, and even, even, even before I started charging, the company had gotten too big for one person to run it. I was customer support requests were taking too long. I was development was taking too long and I needed to figure out how to scale it up and grow it. And eventually, you know, I, uh, I, I did end up hiring some people to help, but then eventually I ended up reconnecting with one of my friends from the first startup, Mahalo, who he had gone on, uh, Adrian Lopez is his name. He had gone on to, uh, startup after startup stayed in LA. He became, uh, a founding member of the, of a company called Flipagram, which got bought by ByteDance and rolled up with musically into what became TikTok. 
And so he had uh-huh. seen a really <laughs> meteoric rise. He'd been part of a real meteoric rise and had seen like how you, he knew a lot more, more just sort of about the marketing and business side. And so we joined forces and then went ahead to then go and uh, raise some money. And he's, he's still, you know, we're co-founders now and um, yeah, couldn't have taken it this far without him. And then, and then the team we built as a result of that. Was also the step of okay, I'm I'm I need more people to build this part of a decision to go back to the United States, or was like it more like I want to live next to my family, close to my yeah. Family? It wasn't so much that I felt the need to move for the business at that time. It was that I had been, as I mentioned, I had been lived in Hawaii and then L.A. and then New, uh, Australia, New Zealand, Thailand. And so I'd spent a lot, a big chunk of time without really seeing my parents. Um, they were, you know, I mean, not, my mom's 85 now. And so they were in their twilight of the, of their lives and I didn't want to be away too long. Uh, and now that I had a child, I wanted them to be part of that. And so that was really the big reason why I moved back to the U S at that point in time and why I'm sort of still here in Salt Lake where my mom lives. Uh, so, yeah, but it also was a lot easier. Like it, it was hard when I was living in New Zealand, handling support requests and like doing calls at like 3 AM, 4 AM and like rocking a baby next to the, you know, I would take the night shift cause I was already going to be <laughs> up anyway. Um, it's pretty tough to work upside down like that as far as time zones go. And so, knowing that the business was based in America. Most of our clients were uh, in America, although we had a really big cohort in Australia as well, because they of all people have, I think still have really poor internet speeds. And back then it was a lot worse. And so they were one of the first people that really needed what we were building. But um, yeah, no, coming back was a lot easier. I could work during the day and, uh, um, you know, build the business here and, And how did it felt? Because I remember when I, I was traveling after school and I, I loved it. It was so good. And then I came home <laughs> and I felt so stuck. Maybe because I didn't have a business or something at this point to work on. Maybe it was a general feeling, but it really felt like slowing down. Did you have kind of the same feeling of like, okay, coming back to a place where you were born? And <laughs> Well, I actually grew up in Texas. And so my parents moved while I was traveling. And that, so I wasn't necessarily coming home, but I had lived in Utah before. Um, so it was a bit of that. But, um, you know, so much had changed. You know, now I've got a wife and a kid and it's a different stage of life. And um I was, I think, kind of ready to settle down a little bit, you know. Because ah, okay. it's hard traveling. It's <laughs> hard, it's of hard life. to like, <laughs> yeah. even just, you know, a 12-hour flight. Or I think from Thailand, it was like a 16-hour flight with kids and all that. It, it's doable with one kid. Now that I've got two, it just feels very, very hard to think about doing all of that travel. And so... And, you know, they want, once they start getting into school, then it's a little bit trickier. So I'm glad I got that out of my system before I had such, you know, the other responsibilities. Um, but, uh, you know, and I'll, I still do want to get back to some of that. But, yeah, it's trickier once you've got kids. Yeah, I didn't I actually didn't thought about that part, like kindergarten and, <laughs> and like giving uh kids to school is like important part uh, so, so so probably it's hard to be a digital nomad um 
whites having kids. Uh, but you said before we started the podcast that you like are mostly a remote company. So so like where are employees all over the world, like kind of in the same time zone, but also like in Portugal, uh, also in Poland. So you don't only uh, hire people in the United yeah, States. Yeah, I mean, I'm actually the only team member here in Utah. And then uh, my co-founder is in California. Oh, crazy. And then we've got a few team members there in California. We've got people kind of, I think, all across the U.S., East and West. We've got people in South America, um, Europe, Eastern Europe. And then we've got a team in the Philippines as well. And so, um, yeah, I hired, you know, I think the first guy I hired was in Romania when I was in Thailand. And um, and then he, and then we, I just kind of, you know, went from there. We were, we're much more interested in hiring the people that are, you know, really love the business and really um, have the perfect skill set for what we need than necessarily on, you know, in our state or in our time zone or anything. And that's worked out pretty well for us. And it's created a really fun, diverse um, culture in the company as well. Um, something that we like to do, uh, we need to get back to it. I've known it for a while is a, because, you know, we do do on-sites at times where we go visit, but we've never actually gotten everybody together. We'll have like, let's do a North American party. Let's do a European party. Uh, and, um, but we do like what's called a behind the screens where the idea is you pick up your camera and like show us what's actually around you. Cause you only see this and like, teach us about your culture, oh, nice, the food, nice. your city, what you like to do. And, um, I don't know. I, I think that's been a big strong point for the company is, um, and we get a lot of diverse opinions and thoughts and, uh, just feedback and yeah, I don't, I wouldn't do it. I wouldn't have it. Any, and then COVID hit and eventually, and we were like, Oh, well we don't really have to change anything. This is fine. Um, so that was just a stroke <laughs> of luck, but I wouldn't have done it any other way anyways. Um, It's so nice that you're saying this because right now, like most German companies uh, who went like remote, like especially IT companies, which went remote and took like the remote thing for a longer time, they are now trying to bring people back to the office. So there are like back to the office, uh, like forces, which try to find reasons why this would be useful or, or they make initiatives that it's more attractive uh, to come to the places where the company is based and they only hire people like where the company uh, is. And I actually think this is um, something where it's like probably a misconsumption that like remote work isn't working well. I think it's more about Uh, like what you're saying, like, show me around, show me where you're sitting, show me your place or, or like asking questions. Uh, like I really like this in retro perspectives, like to start with, like, what did you have for breakfast? And then everyone is saying <laughs> what they had for breakfast or, or like taking these normal conversations you also would have, like when you meet in the office and like make it a little bit more personal, because if you only meet via video conferences, I think there's the danger of, like not having colleagues, more like having just to work together. And I really love this GitLab. Um, how is it called? They have this book, like how to organize uh, remote work. And and they, they are saying like, okay, meet and don't talk about work at all, like once a week and these kind of things. I, I think that's just incredible. Yeah, you have to do things a little bit differently because if you have an in-office meeting, like a stand-up meeting in an office is like no bullshit, like, 
get to the point that we want to get through this meet as fast as possible. But when you're remote, like you don't have other times necessarily to socialize. So, you know, we're not super strict on that. Like our meetings usually start off with like, Hey, how was your weekend? You know, what's going on? Like, I like your, you know, like your background, whatever it is. And, um, you have to allow for that and just enjoy that and lean into that as well as you've got to have, you know, we'll have some, you know, we do all hands meetings once a week and, Sometimes those are just social meetings, you know, we'll just like, all right, bring your favorite drink and let's play some games. Let's play some Counter-Strike together or Among Us or whatever the, whatever, you know, people want to do. Um, and I think, yeah, you do have to go out of your way a little bit to allow for some of that to build sort of the team cohesion. But, you know, I think outside of all that, there's a huge premium in the, uh, in my mind and in the people who work at Zencaster's mind as well, as far as being able to work from home, work where you're comfortable, don't have a commute. You can take, you can hang out with your kids and your breaks during the day, you know, make them lunch. Like you're not gone. Like you might eat, like even if you're working a lot, like I was a lot of those, a lot of the time, I still wasn't leaving my family. I was still felt like I was part of the family and that's worth a lot to people. Um, and certainly to me when we raised money, uh, uh, 2020, we toyed pretty strongly with the idea of localizing the business here in Salt Lake city. We went and looked at office space and, you know, we were like, all right, we're going to have to, it's also just really hard to find the talent that you need in one city if you're, unless you're in like one of the big tech hubs and Salt Lake city is, is getting pretty good at that. But for instance, like, you know, we were building a machine learning team and we just couldn't find the right people for that easily where we were at and being able to cast a worldwide net for that, um, definitely made that a lot easier to, for us to find some of the best people for, for our company. And also when we, you know, me and Adrian, we were looking at office space and he was trying to talk his wife into moving from LA to Utah and all this stuff. And, at a certain point we we're just like man it sounds this sounds like it's going to be exhausting having to like have an office and like drive to work like we were so used to being working from home that we said you know what like we're not, we're not going to do it we're going to do this remote and uh again i i wouldn't change anything and i i i really like that it's like when like supporting your private circumstances and your private life so much because uh, in my last company, for example, where were this problem for uh, for dads and uh, like moms to collect the children from the kindergarten, and it was no deal at all. Like everyone knew, okay, in the afternoon at I don't know around three o'clock, all our developers are gone for an hour, <laughs> and then they are back. Like it's not a problem at all. You can just like set the meetings that there is no meeting at this time, and. I, I I think that's such a happy and positive environment and makes life easier. And yeah, work should do life easier. I was uh I I always have like romanticized in my mind this idea of like back in the day like families lived on like a farm and they all kind of helped out and they were you know building something together as a family. This is a little bit different, but it's got that same element of you can stay together and, you know, still kind of be part of the family, even if you have to, you know, are at a startup where you got to work a lot, you've got the time and the space to take those breaks. And, um, you know, I was when after kind of, 
I don't know when we say after COVID anymore, but once companies started trying to get their workers to come back into the office, we started getting applicants from like Apple to work at our company. And we we're like, we can't afford you. And like, well, I'll take, they're like, I'll take like a 30, 40% pay cut. And I was like, well, we still can't afford you. But um, <laughs> it just drove home to me, like how much people value being able to be remote and not have to work in an office. Like it, the, the commute is I think a huge piece. And then just being able to be at home in your comfort, you know, I'm wearing shorts right now. Like, uh, that's you know, I wear shorts every day in the summer to work, and that I don't want to have to wear jeans. <laughs> yeah, I I I I love it so much. Like like even sometimes I, I I'm like okay if this day doesn't feel like it normally I'm working from where we work uh, like right now, um because I really like these spaces and sometimes like to separate like where I live and where I work. But sometimes I'm like, yeah, but I can also sit in my bed and like, this feels so good right now. <laughs> and I enjoy that. And there's no reason because I do my work. And I think that is the only thing which should count after all. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Talking about like uh, the future and what's happening right now. I'm so impressed, like how many features you're shipping. Like, how is that possible? How how do you manage that? Like, I I, I mean... Like you're you're a remote company, and still I think you're shipping way more than most normal companies. Yeah, I mean, I honestly got to give my hats off to my co-founder, who is a really great kind of company and team builder, and knows how to hire really great people. That was one of, um, I mean, I think we always have had have hired great people, but he was able to kind of put that on, you know, pour gas on that and figure out how to do that at scale and really build an amazing team. Um, and we've just got really dedicated people, great you know, people that are really bought into the vision that we're building. And, you know, everybody's got, you know, equity and uh, stock option packages, all the, you know, all, any, everybody on the company, all the way down to customer support. And, um, uh, and like everyone who's working uh, at, at Sencaster? Yeah, I mean, you know, occasionally we'll, we'll work with contractors who are, you know, not like full-time team members or they're out working like part-time for us. But yeah, anybody who is a full-time team member has uh, stock option packages, has, uh, you know, a, a skin in the game. And, you know, I, I, I look at what, you know, the reason why I started this company wasn't so much because I had to build a tech, tech company or had to like build something in the podcasting space is that I wanted, you know, I had a, I have, I have family in New Zealand. I had a wife who wanted to be, I, I had this baby. We had to go, I was trying to apply for jobs and I was like, okay, but I got to go to New Zealand in like six months to have a baby. And they're like, Oh, well, no. Um, <laughs> yeah. yeah. <And> so, <laughs> no shit. I was like, okay, well I'm going to need, I need to be like geographically independent. I want to be financially independent. Um, and also want to just have, the decision-making independence to build what I think should be built. And those are sort of the three big goals of, of the business. And, you know, it was really to be able to change my life, mold my life into something that fit the needs of myself and my family. Then once it's got bigger than a single person company, then I was like, okay, well now we have the opportunity to change you know, the lives of all the team members on our, uh, on our, uh, in the company. And that's why we always want to make sure everybody's got, you know, the uh, option packages and things like that. And then, you know, now 
we've got we've seen the opportunity to not only do that for our team, but for all the podcasters who have been supporting the business for all this time. And that's why we've expanded into helping them distribute, helping them grow, helping them monetize. You know, podcasters are by and large very entrepreneurial people. Um, they either want to make money through mon- through running ads or monetizing their audience, or they've already got a product or a service that they're trying to use this as a channel to, uh, you know, drive leads and conversions. And so helping them do that successfully and make it so that you can actually do what you love to do rather than whatever rat race you're stuck in. I find that really inspiring. And I think our creators find that really inspiring as well. And so that's what we've, you know, tried to lean into is, you know, how do we change as, you know, a lot of people talk about changing the world with your company. Uh, I'm more interested in changing the individual lives of, of the people that we're working with in as, in as big of a way as we can. That's, I think, you know, I can't think of a better, more rewarding uh, goal than that. I, I, I'm, to be honest, I'm really overwhelmed by this paperwork stuff. Like, like I, 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 I don't really understand so many things, like how to like give shares to, uh, like employees, how to give shares to customers. I, I mean, thanks God we're, we're our platforms are like supporting with these things. But in the end, um, I, I think obviously all of this is possible. And I think that's the best possible way to build a company when your employees have skin in the game, your users have skin in the game, like everyone is participating and like building this thing because I think most of the times it's it's just like, yeah, you get money against your time. But I think it's, it's such a nice idea that people go to work and are really proud of what we are building. And if it's a good thing, then they get something from it. Um, I really saw this like versus this big company called Siemens in Germany. Uh, probably you also know it in America. I'm not sure. Um, where, where they also try to like enforce that people um, get kind of share uh, shares of a company, and re- you really see the difference. Like people don't uh, like like they they turn off the lights when they <laughs> leave the room, and they ask the other people to turn off the light. Like you really see the difference when people are part of the company. I, I really like this. I, I think every company should be like that. Yeah, no, <laughs> I agree. Cool. And to, to be fair, it is a little bit overwhelming if you're doing it from in, in, in the context of a startup, because you have to, you can't just be an LLC, you know, it's, I don't know how it works in Germany, but in, in the US, and then um, you have to be like a C Corp to have, you know, raise money and get, there's different ways to do it, I think, without doing that, but that's the path we took. And so we actually weren't able to make that happen until we raised money, transitioned to a different a corporation. And um, at that point we had lawyers that just would said, Hey, you figure that out for us. And um, we'll just tell you how many, how many shares people should get and all that. And so, um, yeah, it's not something you necessarily need to do out of, right out of the gate, but once you, I think, are trying to build a big vision to to rally people around, and are at that stage, it's indispensable because I don't. There's a, so many ups and downs in building a company and building a startup that you you really sh- should for for yourself and for the employees. Like you know, they're they're taking a big risk 
because any business can fail, you know, you know, and they're taking a big risk on being part of an up, an upcoming business that's got big competition that is on timelines with money and all of this. And so I'm figuring out how to reward them uh, in that way definitely helps with a, a, acquiring those people and then retaining them through the, the good times and the bad. Yeah, didn't thought about that thing. Like I, I, I thought the whole time about like, oh, that's so nice. Like if everyone's coming to work and it's like, okay, this is my company. But of course, that also makes that that the good people are staying probably for longer because I, I think, especially in tech, it's a really big problem that people are leaving companies after six months and stuff or after twelve months. But leaving too early. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we have a I believe a you know, an extremely high retention rate and we've even had people that have gone on to other opportunities and then have come back and um you know, we, we uh yeah, so it, I I I yeah, again, I, I wouldn't do it any other way. Um but it's not so, it's not something you need to worry about doing necessarily right out of the gate when you're just getting the business off the ground, but definitely something to consider as you're scaling it up. How is your team set up? So how many people are you overall? How many developers? How many product people? How many marketing people? Like how how is like the architecture of like the team? Man, so we've got around about 25 full-time team members. We also have a couple of kind of consultants and uh, advisory consultants that we work with as well. Um, but that's sort of the the shape of the team. And we've got, you know, almost half of that, you know, is on, on the either like customer support or customer success side and then the, the other half is uh, engineering we've got a uh, mostly engineering and we've got a uh, a two two man kind of machine learning team that's uh, you know because we've been recording really high quality audio and now video for years and that's what you need to train your models with and i think we've got like petabytes of data to work churn through and so uh, that's also been helpful in create in attracting good talent there because that's what those guys drool over is big data that they can work with and and train their models on. Um, and yeah, you know, front end developers, uh, back end, uh, DevOps, um, and then you know we've got a creator network team that helps kind of manage the monetization and kind of monetization creator communications helping you know, help them get their ads marked, helping them, um, uh, match them up with, uh, you know, CPM deals with brands that we're bringing in, helping them get guest spots from brands that want to come in and, uh, you know, be part of the podcasting space. Um, so yeah, that's sort of the shape of it. Two things are surprising me. Like the first thing is, uh, like I said, I'm, I'm, uh, like really happy about like so many new features in this short amount of time and like 25 people <laughs> seems, I, 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 I thought you're more people. No, we're pretty lean. We're pretty lean and mean. We just have a great team and people that are no, like, you know, in order to meet our goals, we got to hustle. You know, we got bigger companies that are way bigger than us. Companies are much more money than us. But we've got a good, we've been, you know, first mover in the market. We've got really great brand loyalty from our creators because we've given a lot back to them over the years. We've now involved them in the business as well. And um, it's motivating. 
it's just amazing. <laughs> and the, the other thing which is surprising for me is, so you're saying like it's around 50-50, like 50% customer success support, and the other 50% is like developers, machine learning, uh, front-end, back-end, like these kind of things. Uh, is this correct? Yeah. Yep. Where, where are the marketing people? <laughs> so. <laughs> oh, man, good question. This is something that we're, um, has always been, you know, I'm an engineer by trade and we were actually quite lucky that the uh, Zencaster just has a good kind of organic growth loop in it because you bring other people onto the platform all the time to record with them and then they see it and, and want to try it as well. Um, that carried us for a really long time. Now that the space is getting more saturated with competition we've had to try and figure out how to up our game on the marketing side uh one of the con one of the consultants that we work with is marketing consultant that i mentioned um but what we found man we've we've hired different marketing people at different times and it i have not yet we're you know we're i think it's hard at our stage and at what we're doing to like hire that in unless you're just trying to spend a bunch of money on paid ads. Um, and even then, uh, I, I, I think, you know, we're starting to realize that the marketing really needs to be founder led. Um, you're the one who intimately knows the customer, you're the one who knows the history, you know, knows the market. You're the one that knows like your cash position and all of these things that factor into what we uh, should do and could do on the marketing side. And this is a big part of why, we've kind of leaned into you know, the product I showed you before we got on the call, which is this AI powered marketing tool. Um, Cause if, if you're a founder or a business owner, entrepreneur, you need to have, you, you need to market yourself to get out there. Um, and it's getting more and more saturated as probably in your market, whatever it is, it's always trending in that direction. Um, and I think a lot of people tend to, jump to, I'm just going to spend a bunch of money on Google AdWords. Well, that's can be very expensive. We've spent a lot of money on that in the past and to not, and oftentimes just to defend your own um, keywords of people that are already searching for you from competitors and you're not actually reaching a wider audience. Um, and really now most people are spending more, people don't spend their time on Google all day. They spend their time all day on like Reddit or Facebook or TikTok or, you know, YouTube or whatever it is. And, you know, those platforms are free to post on. You just have to be able to get the algorithm to rank you up and spread you out and grow your audience. Um, the hard part, though, is in order to achieve that, you need to be posting daily, if not multiple times a day across all these different channels. And that's a lot of work to do if you are, if you're a, business owner and you've got a bunch of other stuff to do as well. And so this is why we've built this system, you know, and we're going to try it out with this podcast afterwards. I'll get you set up on the, on the product and um, to make it so you record, you know, one, two, three, four times a month, whatever your cadence of, if you got a podcast um, or even just once a month, if you just want to create clips to share out, we'll find all the most interesting parts Um schedule them out across all the different channels throughout the month so you can batch your time. So I'm going to spend an hour a week or a couple hours a month on creating the content. And then I can hit go at Zencaster. And now I've got my content marketing system on autopilot 
and I'm playing into the algorithms of these different platforms in the way that's actually going to get the content ranked. And that way you can have a much more cost-effective strategy that is not just a display ad you're slapping around, but it can actually share your vision from your mouth, you know, to your customers um, in a way that is going to resonate and is going to be the most engaging across the different platforms. Uh, this is a product we're kind of building for ourselves because we've had this need and this problem that we've had is like figuring out how do we actually market cost effectively and just effectively at all uh, across the board. That's that's so cool. Like like I I I think creating this videos is so like time consuming uh, and like finding the best parts. And I I think actually AI probably is really good in like seeing potential. Okay, this could go viral. This is something uh, people would like to hear. And I guess you also get better over time. And and it's just like you kind of double check. Okay, are these parts of the podcast I want to have published? And then it's published to all the different platforms. You just connect them and it's done by itself. Yeah, exactly. We've launched this new product uh, um, on zen.ai as the domain. Um, and that's for if you're not a podcaster, but you want to record and create clips. If you're a podcaster, we're in the process of pulling that this product back into um, just Zencaster in general, like over the next couple of weeks. Um, and... Uh, yeah, you just you just have to record it, and the AI cuts it up. You know, it helps if you're intentional about what you want to say and all of that. But you know, if you've got the content, if you're already recording a podcast, um, it, you'd be surprised at how many interesting little parts uh, you should share. And also, if you're you know, as you may know, when you're trying to create a social media strategy, you don't want to just be slapping ads everywhere. You don't want to say like, hey, here's what we do, buy it. You want to just be providing good value across the board uh, and with the occasional call to action, hey, if you'd like to learn more, if you want to help with this, like we can help there. And so I think a podcast is a really great format for creating not only just the give back value ad content, but also then you know picking out those pieces that are really going to help uh, illustrate the the value and the features of your product or brand and, and how it can help. And so we're pretty excited about it. And uh, it, there's the reception so far has been really great. It's a huge problem. I think everybody uh, in my position or similar position knows they need to be a thought leader. They need to be on social. They need to be spreading the, sharing the vision, not just with your team, but with uh, you know the world and your, your customers and everything. And it's such a huge, you know, I, I, I've been watching a lot of like Gary V, um, Gary Vaynerchuk videos recently, um, who was part of my inspiration to start the company in the beginning. Like, stop, wa oh, stop crazy. watching TV and just like at, at the nights, like you don't have time to start a business. Don't watch TV. <laughs> don't play games. And and uh, I was like, okay, let's do this. But now as he's evolved and I, and I've evolved, uh, you know, one of the things he's talking about a lot is, you know, these platforms are free. You know, all you got to do is put a lot of content out there and see what sticks and then iterate on that. But it's easier said than done. It's simple, but it's hard. It's simple to understand, hard to execute on. And so that's kind of what we've been keying into is how do we make this simple to understand and as simple as possible to execute on as well, as far as like not taking all of your time and making it easier for you. Like if you just turn on a camera on yourself and be like, okay, I'm going to say something valuable. That's that's a lot harder than saying, hey, 
thanks for inviting me to the podcast. Ask me some questions and let's see what comes out of this. And there'll probably be some great points. We'll help you pick them out via the AI and then you just approve them. We'll schedule them out. Now you move on with the rest of your business. Yeah, m- most like things which are right now on, uh, so I don't use TikTok, but uh, on Instagram and the reels are so scripted, like like people intentionally uh, intentionally are like, okay, I, I gonna say this now. And it's like, yeah, okay, not that interesting really often um, and kind of salesy. But actually, like in this podcast, there are so clever people here. <laughs> they are saying so clever things, but sometimes when they don't even expect and they have uh, i i really really love this idea and i also love the idea of ai like catching the interesting parts because i i think that's like monkey work uh you would have to do and ai probably does a really good job there the domain send.ai that's such a cool domain how much was it <laughs> you know we got really we've had that domain for a few years now and Ah, oh, okay, okay. I've forgotten Clever. the name of the guy of, of of the guy that we got it from, but he was pretty cool. He didn't want to be a a a, a domain troll or whatever. That he, a, be a, I forgot yeah, yeah, what the yeah. word is, but he didn't want to just park on it. He didn't know what to do with it, and we were still quite small as a company at the time. And I don't remember exactly, but it was like two to four thousand dollars or something like that. Oh, that, that, that's really good. Like, like uh, .ai domains right now are skyrocketing with the prices. I know. I was thinking maybe I should sell that yeah, yeah. domain now. But uh, <laughs> no, we've got we're, we're, it. We didn't know exactly what we wanted to do with it, but we knew we were gonna. We knew what that it was gonna be. We would have something now that we we're getting into the AI game, and so um, yeah, I had that for years. For years, and now we found the perfect use for it. So pretty, pretty happy with it. Uh, in general, uh, why the name Zencaster? Are you into Buddhism and these kind of things? <laughs> Finding good domains is, as you notice, it's just with the R. Um, you know, I was bootstrapping this. I didn't have a budget to buy like even a thousand dollar domain because um, Zencast ER was a thousand dollars, but Zencast R was fifteen bucks. <laughs> and so I was like, okay, I'm gonna get the Zencast R first, and then. If I ever make any money from it, I'm going to spend that first thousand dollars I make to get the ER domain, and so that's what we did. And now we have both. But how we got to that in the first place was, um, there, I was just trying to find a good domain that made somewhat sense for the product. And there's a, I'll give a plug. To the, there's a, there's a, um, a site still you can still use it. It's called LeanDomainSearch.com, and you can give it keywords and like you can just say, okay, cast. And then it'll give you all the domains it can find that have the word cast in it. And you can say starts with cast or ends with cast or has cast in it or whatever. And I just read through all the options it gave me and I saw a Zencaster and I was like, oh, I like, I can see like, we're going to make it easy for you to create your podcast. Like take, take all the pain and the stress away and have a, a Zen-like experience, and so that's sort of what stuck. That said, I, 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 I'm not like, I don't know if I call myself a Buddhist, but I do really like the the Buddhist philosophy, and like, you know, I try to meditate and things like that as well. But that really wasn't the the main reason. Ah, oh, nice. Yeah, I, I, I really like the name as well. I, I, I think it's, do remember it, uh, and it's, it's on point. Um, uh, in some way and like like talking about the long-term vision like i think right now the ai stuff is 
really the thing you're working on, but like Zencaster in general, like for the future, what is the goal you want to reach? Yeah, I mean, I think it goes back to that goal of like really changing lives and helping people do what they love and help that drive either the, their existing business or help it be the business in and of itself. Um, podcasters are really cool people. They're ambitious. You know, if you've been a podcaster for, you know, it's getting easier as time goes on and I hope we've been a, somewhat of a part of that. But if you've been an OG podcaster for a while, like you didn't just happen to do that. You did it because it's something that you really care about. I've met people who have hundreds of episodes and have never really made any money on their podcasts, but it's a, it's a passion of theirs. And the idea that we can take that passion and turn it into something that, you know, helps you become financially independent and change your life in a really meaningful way. Uh, that's, I think, you know, really what we want to do. Um, and not only do we think that's possible, but there's actually a really big business there as well. Like podcasters, are becoming the most influential influencers out there. Um, and it's still a wide open space. Like if you look at the, you know, other platforms like, uh, you know, Twitter, for instance, or TikTok, if you look at the ratio of people who are creators on the platform versus people who are consumers, I think those have ratios of like 30% creators to consumers or something like that. If you look at podcasting, it's like well under 1% creators to like the, the, you know, the hundreds of millions oh, of, of consumers. And so that to me says, wow, there's actually some big barriers to entry in creating and succeeding as a podcaster that are artificially keeping that creator ratio really low. And if we figure out how to open those floodgates, um, then there's going to be so many more people that are going to be able to be successful at it, stick with it, make it their career as well as it's a it's a really valuable business as well yeah and i i really love this format uh of a podcast because you can listen to it while like going for a run uh like while driving by train i i i think it's so so nice like i i actually listen to i don't know like maybe 10 or 15 podcast episodes every week um and i i love this format so much I learned so much here. Yeah, that's our big pitch to, you know, other types of creators. We try, you know, uh, oftentimes I'll end up talking to people who are influencers on other platforms, but they don't know how to add a podcast into it or even if they, they should. And one of the big reasons is like, if you're a YouTube creator, that person can't probably consume your content while they're, you know, like driving or going to work or Uh, or, or working out or doing laundry, um, it, you know, you get them for like a couple hours in the evening, maybe when they've got free time to actually pay attention. Whereas if you also have a podcast, then that opens up like all the rest of the day. Um, and I think avid podcasters listen to like seven, six, seven hours of podcast content a day. And the people that really integrated into their lives, because they do it, like you said, while they're working out, while they're commuting on the bus, whatever. And so it just gives you a lot more surface area to communicate with your your audience. And, you know, I don't know if you've ever like found a great YouTube channel and binged it and then realized you caught up with where they're at. And because it takes them a month to create another piece of content sometimes, depending on what they're doing, you know, maybe even a week, they're, uh, 
they've got more appetite for your content, but since they ran out of the content, now they're switching to another channel and waiting until you come back. So if you can have that content available to them in different formats, different platforms, and in ways that they can consume where and how they want to, rather than forcing them to consume it in just the one way that you you've decided, um, just opens you up to building a stronger relationship and more valuable relationship with the audience. Yeah, and and it's also like like a YouTube video is so attention crapping sometimes. So you have this thumbnail which is like crying to you, please watch me. And then the YouTube video, I I mean normally the longest YouTube videos are like 10 minutes or something. Um because everything else doesn't make any sense. And I I think like a podcast is more like a book so that you like really take the time to dive deep into stuff. And I I hate this nowadays that like especially in social media things are so like people don't take time for good things so 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 they they always want like the, the short uh like high endorphin like quick high um but i i really think okay but it's nice to read a book because in a book like a person can talk about all their wisdom you you the things we were talking about now you couldn't do this like in a one minute video <laughs> so oh, yeah maybe you could oh, yeah. like take some part of it but like not the steep dive not telling like a whole story I, i i also think like series are better than like a movie um like, like a movie is nice but i really like this format of like okay you you really building character and it's not like black and white it's more like you build this whole story and you're seeing in the end okay this was a really bad person but over time it went better and like i i really like i don't know watching how i met your mother and like really understand like okay barney of course like he's a problematic person but this is the reason why and, and this is like like i I really like this character building of 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 series. I really like books, and I also think like a podcast is like such a cool thing that you can do this deep dive with people. I agree one hundred percent, and I think this bears out when you look at some of the most popular podcasts are like three hours long, uh, and sometimes <laughs> longer. And um, I think it really ties into you know in an age you know especially in the United States where things have got so polarized. Um, you know, if you, if you only had Twitter to work with, Twitter forces you to say kind of incomplete ideas with incomplete context, people then read it, take you in the least charitable way possible. And now you're in a fight with somebody and it's almost unavoidable. It's almost, I don't think it was designed for that, but I don't think you could design it better to, to lead to dis disagreement than that. And, um, whereas a podcast, I think you can take people that, vehemently disagree with one another and if you put them in a room long enough and they're both able to fully explain their points to each other you can at least come to a point of understanding of where that person's coming from even if you don't understand even if you don't necessarily agree with where they've landed and i think that's something that you know the world really needs right now is to realize that you know we all do have at some level want the same things and have a common kind of 
ideas in the end and there's things we can agree on and we're not just focusing on the things that we disagree on. And I think podcasting is a really powerful platform for that. And I'm really happy to to be able to, you know, be a part of that. The thing is I I I, I think like the short like format really like as you're saying is dangerous because it's like not the truth. Like it's a short version of the truth. And I I really appreciate like when I was traveling, I was uh, also in Russia, for example, uh, and was doing couchsurfing. So I really understand some things because I was talking to people like for hours about some topics. And nowadays I would say like, yeah, it's complex. <laughs> so I, I really think in so many situations, it's like <laughs> most of the times it's not black and white. And I, I really like that podcasts give a chance, like not only podcasts, also books, also series give a chance like to take the time to explain complex stuff uh yeah which is not possible within a minute um ah yeah i i i'm a big fan of all of this and and i'm a big fan of like the features uh you're building one last thing i want to talk about today but we shouldn't do too long not three hours today (laughs) because i didn't at dinner so far and it's late um but i i really wonder about this monetization thing because um yeah you're saying you would love to give people the chance to make a living from having a podcast and I, yeah, I, <laughs> so far I, I really struggled with this. Maybe also because I struggle with, uh, like, I, I, I don't know. I, I don't want to have weird, uh, like advertisements, which are not like a good fit. Like, I don't want any gambling stuff. I don't want, like, uh, some p- things are not cool with me. I also, like, there was, um, this idea of yeah you could charge your guests to be guests because they get attention and i'm like nah nah i just don't like this like actually like i'm educated by people who are more intelligent than me it wouldn't feel good to like charge for that um even if i know like it means attention and, and stuff but this is like a thing you're also like trying to build like a foundation nowadays, like that people have the chance to easily monetize their podcast in some ways. This was correct. This goes back to when I was still in Thailand. I remember being on a phone call in the in the in the dark because I was working and then the night trying to talk to people in the U.S. and um, which is scary in the dark in Thailand because there's like big spiders crawling around and lizards and stuff. But that's beside the point. But um, I. I was like, Hey, I think I've got, I did a survey to our users and I, I said, I think we've got, you know, maybe something like across all of our creators, about 10 million monthly downloads of podcast content. Uh, we weren't even hosting for them, but we, but I knew that they had this content. So I asked them, how big are you? Are you monetizing? Do you want to monetize? And like, I think 75 or 80% weren't monetizing, but they wanted to. So I called up one of the biggest podcast agencies at the time. I think it was Midroll, and I was like, "Hey, we've got I've got all this inventory of people that want to run ads. Like, let's work with them." And they're like, "No," they just said no. And I was like, "Well, okay, why? Like, that seems like that could be valuable from a CPM basis." And and at that time, they're like, "Well, most of our advertisers are coming from radio. They don't know how to deal with a bunch of smaller podcasts because most of them were." Where most most podcasts even today are like under 500 monthly downloads, you know, and they're like, we just can't, 
it's not worth our time and our advertisers won't, they want to know, they want to work with people that have 50,000, a hundred thousand monthly downloads. And so I didn't know what to do with that at the time. I just kind of tabled that and I said, okay, I don't, I've got a lot of other stuff to solve that that's not the problem we're going to solve right now. But it always stuck with me that, you know, these people who are the grassroots of the podcasting space have kind of built it from the bottom up. I mean, uh, you know, if you've, you've, they're not being valued by the, by the advertising market. And why is that? How can we solve that? And that's a big part of why we got into machine learning and AI is to accurately be able to transcribe the content because the problem for the advertisers is not so much that they don't want to work, but they don't want to work with that inventory. They don't know how to quality control a bunch of small podcasts that you can't say, Hey, here's a thousand podcasts that you should be on. They like, I don't even know how to approach dealing with like, what if they're saying slurs? What if they're, you know, if they're just not targeted, like, all right, how are we going to sell that to our advertisers? What if something goes wrong? And so, um, you know, be trying to be that piece of saying, uh, basically help the smaller podcasters get access to the value that they're creating in, in, uh, and working with these brands by, you know, being that piece in between that helps do the quality control that the brands don't know how to do while grouping the podcasters together in a way that it's a big enough package of inventory that's actually going to be interesting enough to move the needle for the brand. And so that's sort of a, a big part of it is just bringing that, that limit down of like how big you have to be before you can monetize, but also thinking outside the box of if you're, if you have 500 monthly downloads, you probably shouldn't be jumping straight into doing CPM based advertising deals. You're not going to make, you you know, you're going to make like five bucks maybe, you know, like what was that going to change? I don't know. For some people that's validating to start with, if that's just the beginning, but um, and that's also why we're doing growth tools and the social media stuff is like, we got to help them grow as well as help them monetize. But if you're smaller, like, and this is something we haven't done yet, but it would make a lot of sense for us is like a backer program. You're going to make a lot more money with a small loyal audience as a backer program than you are going to be trying to sell ads on a CPM basis or even selling merchandise. Um, and so I think for us, it's about and, you know, to your point, you had some concerns, like, I don't want these kinds of ads and I don't know if I want to do guest spots for some creators that works really well for you. That's not the right fit. And so we're always working on creating a broader suite of different monetization options that make sense for you as a podcaster at the stage that you're at while giving you the opportunity to grow into continue to grow and get into stages where it does then maybe make sense to do direct to brand deals or uh, even where CPM based advertising really moves the needle for you. And so um, that's, yeah, that's how we think about it. And that's the, that's the problems that we've encountered and that we're trying to, that, you know, we've already solved in a, uh, a lot of those, but there's still a lot of work left to do. Uh, I'm still extremely interested in the backer program side of things. And uh, that's something that we'll be uh, tackling as well, but certainly the easiest point of entry for, us to flip on money for a lot of our creators was getting into programmatic advertising. We now have that rocking and rolling and we don't put a lower limit on how big you need to be to, to um, qualify for that. Um, our bigger problem is we have so many people that have opted in that it's taking a long time to kind of get through the list and help people get the ads marked and all of that. We're trying to figure out how to automate that in a better way. And in fact, use some of our machine learning tooling to figure out automatically mark your ads and all of those things. So, um, long answer to your question there, but 
But what what does it mean, like the programmatic advertising uh, advertisement? Ah, uh, yes. So, um, you know, if if basically a programmatic ad you could think of as like a radio ad, like cut to ad break, and here's a you know ad for Disneyland or McDonald's or something like that. Um, those are much easier to get a high fill rate on for your podcast because you can put your inventory for up for sale on these demand based marketplaces where people are basically auctioning bidding for your inventory and it all happens automatically. Um, they have lower CPMs than if you did a direct to brand deal, but when you're doing direct to brand deal and they're paying a much higher CPM, like $25 plus CPM, they're going to be more prescriptive about which podcasters they want to work with. They're going to want to know who they are a lot of times. And, um, so it's just that's a great tool for when you're bigger and you and uh, the brands you're big enough for the brands to kind of consider you individually. Um, but the programmatic is uh, a, just a good way to um, base, make make it so that you're not leaving an inventory on the table without monetizing it uh, while you're working on getting those direct to brand CPM based deals. And those direct to brand deals typically instead of cutting away to an ad, it's you endorsing the product, you know, saying, you know, for like better help or whoever it is like, Hey, I've tried this product. If you, you know, everybody needs this, you should try it too. I've got, you know, one of our brands is a uh, nom nom, a dog food brand. And like everybody, it's like healthy dog food and you know, everybody's got a dog. And uh, you know, so the, the, those ones are host red endorsements. They're more valuable, but they're harder to you got to be bigger to usually qualify for them and from the brand's perspective. And it takes a little bit more work for you to actually do the host right ad and kind of do all that. So it's just the right, it's different ad products and different monetization products for different situations and, um, you know, different preferences from the creators. And, and the programmatic part is, is something like you're building something like Google Ads um, so that like an advertisement can come and say, okay, I want like tech podcasts, which are located where this audience and then they like pay for the amount of streams they get um, and like have like kind of a bidding system because maybe tech podcasts are more lucrative or more uh, interesting than, I don't know, like reading the stars uh, astrology podcasts something like this that's so like there's so much potential <laughs> yeah because I, I i i think like i i'm annoyed by or i i don't like the idea of like reaching out to a million of like people do you want to be sponsor of my podcast so i i just want to do the podcast part <laughs> nothing else oh how many times have i heard this yeah like most podcasters they don't want to be a sales guy they don't want to uh maybe even deal with marketing social media seo they want to be great at podcasting be a great interviewer have really fun enriching conversations grow their audience, have a relationship with the audience. And then they want somebody else to handle all of that rest of the stuff. And that's where we come in. Like we'll be that somebody else that does the, the not fun part. And so you can do what you're great at and then we'll help you actually um, turn that into something that's uh, financially valuable. I, I, I'm so happy <laughs> that you exist <laughs> and I, I, I'm really uh, like, happy customer of Zencaster and I, I really hope we can redo this in five years or something when Zencaster is like probably if you're going at the same speed and the same pace like right now <laughs> yeah like, I would love to I, it's gonna be crazy <laughs> um 
thank you so much for being today uh, in the podcast. And I eat some burgers now. <laughs> Have a wonderful day. Yeah, I need I need to go get a hamburger and myself. <laughs> nice, nice, <laughs> awesome. Nice. Thank you for having me on the show. Really appreciate it. Bye bye.